So for weeks now, I've thought and thought and thought about a biblical text for this service, for the Christmas Eve service. And the one that struck me is the genealogy from the book of Matthew. If you had any doubts that I am actually crazy, you probably don't anymore. But I was so struck by this passage, and maybe it's because I skim it most of the time, or because when I actually read it this time, I noticed some names that I don't think I would have put on the list. Maybe I feel sorry for the first chapter of Matthew. It's not like it gets a whole lot of play in sermons or services. Somebody might be thinking, oh, we need a creative reading of the Christmas story. Oh, I know. We can use Matthew's genealogy. Said nobody ever. I know. It's a rather strange text. I know. It's just a list of names and names that are incredibly hard to pronounce at that. Dwight Eisenhower said that in his family, they had to read through completely the Bible every so often, but they were allowed to skip the genealogies. Well, tonight we aren't going to skip the genealogy. We are going to join Matthew for a walk through the family graveyard of Jesus. So let us listen as best we can to our scripture text for tonight as it comes to us from the book of Matthew, chapter 1, verses 1 through 16. Now let me just say, if you wish you had a different name or you're looking for one for maybe a new pet, listen closely. (laughs) Maybe you'll find something you like. Matthew 1, beginning with verse 1. An account of the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, who was a coward, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, and Judah the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar, and Perez the father of Hezron, Hezron the father of Aram, and Aram the father of Abinadab, and Abinadab the father of Nashon, and Nashon the father of Salmon, and Salmon the father of Boaz by Rahab. And Boaz, the father of Obed by Ruth, and Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of King David. And David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah, Uriah, who he had killed so he could marry Uriah's wife. And Solomon, the father of Rehoboam, the king who split Israel into two nations, And Rehoboam, the father of Abijah, Abijah, the father of Asaph, Asaph, the father of Jehoshaphat, Jehoshaphat, the father of Joram, and Joram, the father of Uzziah, Uzziah, the father of Jotham, and Jotham, the father of Ahaz, and Ahaz, the father of Hezekiah, and Hezekiah, the father of Manasseh. Now, let me just take a breather real quick to let you know all of those names right there that I just listed, people who didn't even believe in God. Manasseh, the father of Amos, Amos, the father of Josiah, and Josiah, a faithful king who died too young, the father of Jeconiah and his brothers at the time of the deportation to Babylon. And after the deportation to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Salathiel, and Salathiel, the father of Zerubbabel, Zerubbabel, the father of Abiud, and Abiud, the father of Eliakim, Eliakim, the father of Azor, and Azor, the father of Zadok. Zadok, the father of Akim, and Akim, the father of Eliud. Eliud, the father of Eliezer, and Eliezer, the father of Matin. And Matin, the father of Jacob, 
Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called the Messiah. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. I'm looking at your faces. You're impressed by that listing of names right there. I will note that I had to practice it several times, so I'm hoping my Hebrew professor takes a listen. I think he'd be impressed by what he taught me. Now, even beyond how strange these names may be to us, genealogies can just be hard to read, hard to keep track of. The trail of who is related to who and how gets really confusing. Is it a second cousin, or is it a cousin once removed? Now, if I ever want to know who's related to who here in this town, I just ask Miss Stella Benson. <laughs> if they're not related to her somehow, she'll point me in the right direction. <laughs> but in general, you look at a family tree, a rare name might stand out of somebody famous you're related to. Now, whenever my family touches on the subject of genealogies, no matter how brief, at some point my grandpa will clear his throat. <clears throat> you know, you're related to President Woodrow Wilson, an eighth cousin who married so-and-so and is kin to so-and-so, and he was the president of Princeton University. As if my siblings and I will be smarter by proxy to being related somehow to Woodrow Wilson. As he rants on, we all will reply, yes, Grandpa, we know. But in general, genealogies are people you've never heard of, people whose lives are summed up in a few dates. Lately on TV, I've noticed these ads for Ancestry.com. You can send in your DNA and names of the family you know if you're willing to claim them. They take your information and they start piecing it all together how you're related, who you're related to. Their tagline, discover what makes you uniquely you. They always have these wonderful examples, right? Discovered your great-great-grandfather helped Thomas Edison create the light bulb. But if we think about it, I'm pretty sure that's not why Matthew lists out Jesus's family tree. Jesus doesn't need a family tree to tell him why he's unique. His father is, well, God, and he's God, too, so he's sort of got the unique thing handled. Unique in being perfect, unique in his perfect humanity and perfect divinity at the same time. So this genealogy here in the book of Matthew is not to show us how Jesus is unique. And it certainly is not a family tree to show us how his family line is all perfect, righteous, faithful. No, looking at Jesus's line, there are some names that some authors, frankly, would probably remove from the list in the interest of making Jesus's family look a little better. I think his family tree is a little more like a scene from the movie Hitch. So in this movie, there's a main character. He's trying to win over this girl, so he takes her to Ellis Island. They walk over to one of those big, giant books they have where Everyone who came through has their name written down and their signature. Hitch had visited earlier, paid the guard. So the book is open to a page with this girl's great-great-grandfather's name on it. Juan Melas. Romantic. 
right? Well, she walks up to the book, and she falls down on the floor crying, hysterically crying. Her great-great-grandfather, Juan Melas, was a member of the family tree. They tried to keep hidden, never mentioned, erased from the list. Why? Because Juan Melas had been a notorious axe murderer. Jesus' genealogy is a little more like that. If you started reading this book, you probably thought, like I did, that Matthew had made a mistake. Jesus is so impressive. He must have a rock-solid family. Not so. There's Manasseh, a king of Judah for 55 years, who was happy to follow every religion he heard about. Worship the crystal ball, worship God. It's all fair game. Then there's Rehoboam, a man who managed to split the nation of Israel in half. It's almost like Matthew makes a point of bringing up all the worst parts. Now, women generally would have been left out of the genealogy, but Matthew's made a point to include Tamar, a bit of a seedy character. Rahab, not exactly a role model. Then there's Uriah. In case you forgot about David's whole killing a woman's husband so he can marry her moment. Matthew leads us on this little stroll through Jesus' family graveyard. We learn that his family tree is a family failure. Matthew drags out the most embarrassing stories, airs the dirty laundry. He gestures wildly toward the last 42 generations pointing out how the whole family tree was basically a failure. Except, except that from that tree came the baby who is the Messiah. I always like how on Christmas Eve we all come in quiet, whispering, dark, with candles lit. Like there's some sort of code for the service, like we put on the bulletin, enter silently and whisper only, which we never do, but it's intuitive because we gather to celebrate the birth of a baby. We don't come yelling, that's tomorrow, Christmas Day, or Easter, pull out the trumpets and the triumph. But tonight we're quiet. Tonight, we're contemplative. Tonight, we whisper and stand in awe of the birth of a baby. That's how people meet a newborn, with awe, whispered congratulations. Don't wake the baby. Which, frankly, makes Matthew a bit of a bull in a china shop. He walks into that hospital room, sees a new mother sleeping, the proud father holding his son, and loudly proclaims, he looks just like great uncle Juan Melas, the notorious axe murderer, doesn't he? He's got uncle Juan's eyes. By the time he leaves, baby's crying, mom's crying, dad is trying to choke Matthew while a nurse holds him back. So what is Matthew doing with this genealogy? He reaches back through the family graveyard, points out the best, points out the worst, carries it all the way through an insignificant young carpenter named Joseph. So does this mean Joseph is the father of Jesus? If Jesus is the son of David, then Joseph must have been his father. Was Joseph his father? Well, no. Also, yes. 
also know. Matthew simply says, Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who was called the Messiah. This is how it worked. Joseph was engaged to Mary. Engagement was a legal thing. You did not get engaged at the drive-in some Friday night or on a big screen of a baseball game or the middle of a concert or at a fancy dinner. Engagement was a contract, not a commitment. It could be broken only by going to the courts. So Joseph is engaged, bound to Mary, possibly for years, but he discovers that Mary's pregnant, which is problematic because at that time, being pregnant before you were married, well, it was punishable by execution. Which leaves Joseph in a bit of a pickle. He can go ahead with the wedding, but most people are unlikely to believe the story of an angelic vision and a son who is the Son of God. His friends say he's being a fool. Some of his family will consider him a disgrace. The neighbors will whisper behind his back. So he can go ahead with the wedding, or he can cut and run. What amazes me is you don't have to go any further than the genealogy in the book of Matthew to learn that Joseph becomes a husband to Mary. Mary does indeed give birth to a son, and that son is raised by a carpenter. The family might still think he's a disgrace. Friends may still call him a fool. The neighbors may whisper, but tonight none of that matters. Tonight, none of that matters because a baby changes everything. Tonight, shepherds appear still babbling about a chorus of angels that appeared in the sky. And they join a mother who is beaming at her son and a father who knows. In that moment, he knows. Though he made the harder choice, he made the right one. Because this baby will change everything. Christmas is simple. We celebrate the birth of a child who is called the Messiah. Out of the good and bad of this family tree, and the bad is bad, from a father who was the father and who also wasn't, of Jesus the Christ, a baby was born. Which is why tonight we gather quietly. Hushed tones, dimmed lights, we remember the birth of a baby. Because Matin was the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Joseph, who chose to become the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called the Messiah. That's the point. That is the simple point of Christmas. A baby was born who is called the Messiah. He might have King David's hair, Manasseh's figure, Tamar's eyes. He might grow up hearing neighbors whisper, but tonight none of that matters. Because a baby has been born. Thanks be to God. God of life, we know that you came in the flesh to be born as a baby. We know that that baby who came in your form, Lord, who was so loved by you, is the Messiah. 
We know that because the Messiah is here to save us, we must turn our hearts toward you in gratitude, thanking you for the beautiful miracle of the Son that was born in a manger in a little town of Bethlehem where nobody noticed and nobody saw. Might we be people who notice. Might we follow the star to see the glory and majesty of salvation come to us. And might we believe and you, our Savior. Remind us tonight that the simple point of Christmas is that you sent a son to save us. In Christ's holy and precious name, we pray the prayer that you taught us, saying together, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. 